from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon, because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. Hey everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50, hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80 guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a glary. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay. And the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on, like, Instagram. Check it out. I've got some really good summer deals. And check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments. Maybe some patch chords. Cool. t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon, get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you.
You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, TV Spitzer and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hey everyone, it is me, D.B. Spitzer, and to my virtual right, David Heath, Farmer Dave. How the heck are you doing this week? I am doing well. And the crowd goes crazy, especially everyone wearing their I Am Well t-shirts. Yes. Yeah, how's uh, how's everything out on the farm this week? Uh, so it is, uh, it is busy. Yeah, yeah. It is busy, but they, you know, we've got a whole bunch of little goats running around. Um, some of them think that they know more than farmers, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's settling down a little bit. Cool, cool. That's awesome. Uh, I myself am exhausted. I just, uh, we, Sarah and I, uh, dropped the kids off at their grandmother's the other day, and, uh, we went up to Portland, dropped the kids off, and, uh, went to triver, Trivia Horror last night. Horror Trivia last night. Horror Trivia? Night. Yeah. Did you get, did you get, uh, just munched by, uh, by Team Buzzhead? No, no, we, we, we destroyed, uh, Horror Trivia... Uh, we, we, we destroyed, uh, we were Team Monster Vision, and uh, yeah, it was uh, Andrew Migliori's team that ended up beating us. Uh, I didn't know that it was there, or I would have ended up being on his team, and then we would have destroyed everyone, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I am sure you. Yeah, and I won a raffle and got a copy of David Cronenberg's Double Vision, and oh. yeah, yeah, answered all kinds of fun questions, and it's at a place called... A bar called Home, uh, a home, a bar, or it's it's Home a Bar, is the name of it. Anyway, uh, really good drinks, really good food, and I highly recommend if anyone uh, wants to ever make their way to Portland uh, for trivia, the horror trivia, just look for it on Facebook, I think. And oh man, it was so much fun. And this was not a paid spot by anyone. I just had a lot of fun. Well, cool. What yeah. was what was maybe one of the questions? Do you remember? Oh goodness, uh, who directed Swamp Thing, and what was the main anta- antagonist's name? Uh, wasn't it like John early John Cameron? No, Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know who the main antagonist oh, is. It's something arcane. I, I could only remember arcane from when I was a kid and saw it like a billion times on like HBO oh. or Showtime or Spotlight or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of things that are hard to define and uh, all over the place, we're talking about two things that are kind of hard to define and all over the place. We've got a Thogwa or Ithagwa. And we've got Kadath, unknown Kadath. So, Kadath, Ikwa yeah. Kadath, yep, agent yep. of the outer gods. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
do you want to hop into it, or is there anything fun and exciting sure. going on so, in Oleander so this week? I will say yeah. that Ithaca mm-hmm. is one of the coolest things I think that August Derleth created. Yeah, yeah. I think he's an. I think it's an awesome outer god. Yeah. Um, and so, so did Derleth. Mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. fact, he writes his original story three times. Oh wow! There, there's three different versions that he published uh-huh. of of Ithaca, of basically the original story. Okay. Which is based on Algernon uh, Blackwood. Wendigo. Yeah. Oh okay. Uh, yeah. Or or by I think it is. I'm looking at my notes, but I can't believe it. I think it was Blackwood wrote. Uh, uh, Wendigo. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly who wrote it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, and, uh, can you describe Ithaca or Ithagua, if we're gonna go with the, uh, it's ancient Atlantean pronunciation, uh, what, if, if, if someone wanted to run a game or someone wanted to write it for a story, what would you recommend describing it as? Well, so it's changed a little bit, uh-huh. especially in the last couple of decades. Mm-hmm. So it's this large, almost, you can see it, you can almost see through it, mm-hmm. sort of humanoid feature. Sure. And originally, it had Native American features. Uh-huh. Now, it's sort of gone, it's almost more like, uh, almost like a gray alien. Okay. Uh, you know, so they, they, and, and for uh, oh, for um, you know, obviously, you know, um, you know, just cultural niceness. But more yeah. than that, um, I think it is. We sort of see it. it I like that kind of idea that you know. It's not exactly what we see. Our yeah. mind's trying to fill in the gaps. Yeah. And so, you know, a, a 1920s, you know, French-Canadian uh, woodsman is going to see this sort of Native American-looking something mm-hmm. where, you know, modern post-X-Files uh Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, uh-huh. 21st century person is going to see sort of something alien out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've personally described Ithaca as a upright humanoid that is, looks, it's it cuts through the darkness. It's just this pale, pale pale figure that cuts through the darkness, cuts through all the snow, and you see its um, paleness in juxtaposition up against, you know, black pine trees way off in the distance. You see it moving through, and it's this bright, pale thing, and its shoulders are much higher than any humanoid's shoulders even should be. Like, it's 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 like this massive... Uh, thing that's moving through the woods that you can see push trees around or something or you know it's like maybe you can't see all of its shape at once but it's something big and white something that really contrasts with the dark darkness of the uh the woods um you know and uh that or or it's like a physical manifestation 
of a snowstorm, but like, you know how like when you stare at a TV back in the old days and it would be static and you could swear you could sometimes see shapes in that snow? It's kind of like that. It's like you're looking at like just snow falling down and the way that the snow blizzards are going, it looks like it's something big. And then you realize once it gets closer that it is really something. And those are those are ways that I've I've uh, found it interesting to describe like um, Ithaca manifesting into our material world. Yes, and so um, Ithaca, of course, is created by uh, August Derleth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's really sort of defined, I think. By Brian Lumley. Yes, yeah. I think Brian Lumley and Robert M. Price really went out of their way to define Ithaca. Yes, and and with Price, uh, and I have to admit, the first uh, real sort of collection, a uh, Chaosium collection uh-huh. of short stories I got was the Ithaca side. Yeah, you said that the other day. And, and so... Um, I love Price's foreword, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's sort of how we kind of now he's kind of got this sort of alien, you know, sort of foggy alien look. Because Price, you know, he says this is this is the 1920s equivalent to the alien abduction syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And, and for those that don't know, so they would find this. And again, spoilers: 90-year-old story, but. Um, but so, um, they would find this camp mm-hmm. where this person has been dragged off. Yeah. But if they see, you know, he's been dragged and there's blood in the shoe footprints where his shoes have been rubbed off. Yeah. And it gets farther and farther. And like he, he he's being lifted up in the air and sort of bounced until he's lifted up in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I think that is one of the so that's one of the sort of interesting things that I think Lumley kind of added. Yeah. Why does he do this? And, and Lumley is he, he he's lonely. Yeah. Ithaca is lonely. Um, and of course, for a game or a short story, it makes a really good targeted. You know, they're going to hunt this person down. Well, you're going to cast a spell on them to make Ithaca drag them away. Yeah. And so there's this, I think there's this alien sort of, because Ithaca is alien, but he's also, he's captured on the earth mm-hmm. because, because Derleth and Lumley fully buy into this war in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the elder gods and, and that's fine for what they are. Mm-hmm. But then, so Ethical's got kind of this supernatural ankle bracelet. I don't know. I mean, not really. Yeah. So he, unlike Cthulhu, he can travel the Earth. Mm-hmm. He can even travel, I think, to, to Borea, his yeah, home Yeah, I was going to say he can travel back and forth to his home planet and try but and take But he's still limited to what he can do. Yeah. Yeah, no, he uh, he he has that kind of ankle bracelet that he's allowed to go to and from work, but that's it. <laughs> uh, pre- pretty much. Cthulhu um, can't even leave his yard, but Athogla didn't do anything bad enough that he can go back and forth to work as long as he doesn't, uh, you know, go hang out at the bar or anything. Yeah. Between now, ways. 
now, you know, as we said, you know, it's based on black, a uh, black, uh, black woods, uh, yeah. uh, Wendigo, mm-hmm. but there's even an older story that's kind of related. Okay. And by our good friend, Ambrose Bierce. Oh. So Ambrose Bierce wrote a, um, a story and I'm looking for the title. And he wrote this, though, as if it was a newspaper article. Yes. And yeah. where this boy goes out to uh, to get water. Mm-hmm. And he, he all of a sudden, he hears people crying for him. They can't find him to find the bucket. But he's in the air somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they can hear his voice and he gets carried away. And, and so Ambrose Spears wrote this as... Um, as if it were a Christmas story. Yeah. And I feel that this is also one of the earliest urban legends mm-hmm. uh, of the story of Oliver Lurch, yeah. uh, the boy who fell up, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is the same thing uh, um, that was supposed to be in Ohio where this boy on Christmas goes out to get water in the 1890s from the well mm-hmm. And he's screaming. They can't find him. And then they hear his voice as he's flying up the sky. I see you. I see you. Yeah. Um, completely urban legend. Oh, sure. um, it's appeared in a lot of different books and stuff. But um, either there's no contemporary story of it happening at that time. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's definitely a, a, an urban legend. And, and it's possible that that this urban legend might have influenced Derelith. Yeah. But if it did, we don't have, I don't know him writing it down and saying that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, hmm. it has a feeling of otherness. And if you read a lot of uh, mythos stories and uh, turn of the century, I don't know, for, folk horror and stuff like that, it has that kind of feel to it. It it's definitely definitely not supposed to be a mythos story, but it can be like other stuff that uh, our good friend, uh, not August Erleth, but Ambrose Bierce, uh, in the past has done, and in the past stuff has been taken as like, hey, this would fit perfect into the mythos, even though it is not mythos, because the mythos didn't invent, uh, it didn't exist yet. Not until Lovecraft died and Durleth went, well, let's call this thing the mythos and let's everyone use it. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and Ithaca is often used because, you know, Durleth is looking for an air element. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, okay. But the other thing is, you know, I've been in snowstorms. Uh-huh. I haven't been in really, really bad ones. I've been in some minor ones. And yeah. It, nature is nature is a monster. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Durleth is telling everyone, write what you know, write what you know. He's writing what he knows. Uh, Northern Wisconsin in the wintertime is insane, and people go nuts. There's a book called Wisconsin Death Trip that I highly recommend anyone try and track down. Uh, you'll you'll get an idea of where these stories of like pioneers and even uh, late late 1800s, early 20th century before electricity was uh, 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 you know and telecommunications and everything were a thing. Um, 
people together. Just, just used to be so isolated out there and have nothing to do and be more or less stuck indoors and get cabin fever and then worse things happen. And uh, people running out into the woods and disappearing is the least of your problems. People uh, running out of food that, and uh, feasting on each other. I mean, that's, that's something else. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, just even like pioneer stories of like stuff that happened in the hills and in the, you know, in the wilds of Wisconsin and Canada and Minnesota, uh, like the Midwest uh, and like up north. It's like stories from the Yukon that you'd hear. Like you'd hear these grisly stories that I'm not going to go go into, but you could find stuff like that about like, you know, man's inhumanity to man uh, out in the wilderness and wilderness survival. And if you just put even a slight bit of sinisterness, uh, outer worldliness, you've, you've got something like Wendigos and Ithaca and who knows what else. Um, oh man, Rantigoth? No. Is that who I'm thinking of? Who, who yeah, the, yeah. Way, way, way up north. And uh, yeah, his, his uh, remains were found and then he was put into a museum. It's not, I want to say it's Rantigoth, but I could be wrong. I'm not sure, but I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Dareleth also, you know, I don't know how much Lovecraft, I think, did this as a joke. Yeah. Um, but Dareleth really did sort of buy into this family tree of the old guns. Yeah. So he has, he has um, Ithaquah being the child of uh, Shubnogoroth uh-huh. and Hastor. Okay. All right. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, and, 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 and the words of the the robot in uh, Solo. Uh-huh. Oh, it works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thugwa. Crazy stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, how many how many stories do you think there are out there? Like major stories that have been produced about a Thogwa. So there's at least, like, like I said, um, oh, um, and I was trying to, uh, three, mm-hmm. the Dara basically retelling the same story. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to account, um, if you're going to count, um, Wendigo? Blackwoods, oh, yeah, yeah. Wendigo, mm-hmm. and there's, then you've got showing up a couple times in the Titus Crow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And then at least another eight or so in the Ithaca cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not lacking stories. It's not like some great old ones where it's like we don't have any resources to look things up, but yeah. That's that's kinda nice about Ithaca that there is stuff and also there's there's quite a bit in the RPG, the role-playing game. So uh, there's a, a whole lot, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a, a, a whole lot of stories that are, um, yeah, stories, but short story, uh, not short stories, but adventures uh, in um, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, there's. I know there's several adventures and also several books uh, that have come out through the years that kind of expand upon Athagwa, other than just like, oh yeah, he's a nice giant guy. 
<laughs> or, 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 you know, it's like, I don't think any of them say, uh, Native American looking guy who looks like a frozen corpse. But, yeah, uh, kinda. Yeah, yeah, I, kinda, yeah, but I, I don't think I've really seen that as of late, but. Yeah, it's gone more, I think, and I think it's meant as respect. Oh, sure. To yeah. the to Native American tribe. Certainly. But it also, I like, I like the the alienness of the of the um, appearance of what people see when they think they see it. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's a pretty cool thing about it, and you can do a lot with that in the future. Like speaking about in the future, what are they gonna see? You know, it's it's. I don't know what in future games. What would people be like? You know, having fears of in twenty two seventy seven or something like that. <laughs> well, well, you, you know. And what is I think Ethical is ripe for for games for short stories uh-huh. with global warming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that... so yeah, I think there's a lot of potential. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the same thing is we know it's a planetary interplanetary. Mm-hmm. We know he comes from from I believe it's Boris or yeah. Um, so. And, you know, space is cold. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Athalgua. How we know thee so little, yet so much. Yes. So what are we doing for an interview this week, Dave? So we don't have an interview this week, but I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my favorite role-playing games. Oh, cool. And how they... Uh, the the uh, games that are based on the 2D20 system okay. uh, from Modifius, oh. where we've got everything from well, some of my favorite books yeah. to an obscure Scandinavian role-playing game uh, to a European, uh, basically, tabletop combat game uh-huh. that was converted into a role-playing game. Uh, to some major video games. Oh, cool. That's going to be fun. And then after that, uh, Dave and I will be talking about Unknown Kadath and where to find it. It's, it's pretty and, easy. And known, and, and known Kadath, yeah. too. Yeah, and known Kadath. All right. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome and it's going to go fast. It's... Hey everybody, this is David, and this is where I talk to you alone, or I wouldn't say alone, but you may have heard my friends, the little baby goats, and well, that's just part of life when you do most of your recording on a working farm, and they think that it's dinner time when they've still got another 
hour and a half before dinner time. If you ask the baby goats, they're going to say they've never been fed. But So you may hear Ralph the rooster or the goats. But, uh, hey, this is the time that uh, you and me just sort of, you the audience and me the talker, just sort of spend some time without uh, guests. It's kind of our time, and I'm looking forward to it. Where we can just talk about whatever I want uh, with a, a bunch of baby goats in the background. And today we're going to be talking about... Uh, role-playing games, specifically Modifius's 2D20 system. I think there's about eight or nine titles out, and uh, we're just going to briefly sort of discuss the, the system. Um, it's not really going to be a mechanics discussion, but then we're going to go into the different settings, and that's where I think Modifius really, really shines. Now, neither DB, nor I, nor any of the goats that I'm aware of are in any way associated with Modifius, other than the amount of money I've spent on their products, uh, but, and that I'm a, a huge fan. But uh, So this isn't a paid endorsement. This is what I honestly believe. The 2D system, uh, 2D20 system, uh, and it's going to cover a whole bunch of different games, Everything from Dune, Fallout, Conan, to uh, Mutant Chronicles. And I uh, pretty much have a copy of all the games. I have not necessarily played in all the settings. So the idea is you basically you roll two D20s. You want low, and that you get, um, basically based on the skills and your attributes, you add them together, uh, and they depending on the type of game, if you get it below a certain number, then you get uh, bonus successes. So you may be required to get like three successes and you're rolling only two dice. Well, you could, for lack of a better word, get a critical success, gives you an extra, or you can spend uh, momentum or basically positive points to get extra dices or successes. So it works. And at the same point, um, it really is a story-building system in the fact that when you do these incredible things, you're also building up sort of karma, this, this doom or whatever it's called, particular game, it's called different setting different games, uh, for the, uh, the game master to do some things. Um, and maybe we'll do something on this mechanics, but really want to talk about the settings. A one sort of mechanic-flavored thing I want to address it in this this particular uh, session is that there is this wide variation in the rules. Even though they're all the 2D20 system, the exact same character traits and attributes and skills and how they're set up is not the same game to game. So... If you're playing, um, you can't just take your Conan character and bring it into Starfleet. I don't see 2D20 an attempt to be a generic, general-purpose, all-inclusive you know, game for all settings. There is some big differences that exclude it. I mean, if you wanted to, you could sit down and work it out. Sure. And depending on the game, 
setting, the rules are either really crunchy or crunchy light. The more crunchy they are, it means, you know, the more math, uh, more focus on rules, numbers, tables. Uh, crunchy light focuses on storytelling and role-playing. That said, if you have learned master to play a, a 2d20 game and you switch to another one you're you're way ahead of the uh learning curve you know 75 percent of the rules and that there's going to be some changes you know obviously there's no warp speed rules for conan but there also be some area specific setting specific rules that may not exist uh, traits and how you get these, you know, critical successes are going to vary. But if you know one, yeah, you're you're 75% set up for the next one without having looked at a book. Many of these games will have life path settings. Uh, some of them will be sort of simplified. You just put in what you want. Others, you'll the more crunchy ones, you'll be rolling a random thing. And, and character creation is a blast for these games. I really like them. Um, the crunchy ones, even more, I mean, character creation. I like crunchy character creation, yet smooth playing. Uh, so th you cannot, and I've tried, I've made just for fun, like close to 40 uh, Conan uh, characters. And, and you can't make a bad one. You can't make a bad one. Same thing with Star Trek, um, Infinity, or also uh, uh, Mutant Chronicles. Um, other games, it's sort of more of a little plug and play, uh, but it's fun to make characters. This is a, if you're a character creator uh, type person, and you know I do that to calm down from a, a really rough day as I make characters. Uh, great. Um, I've even read a review about the Star Trek version where the guy didn't like the game, but he said, gotta admit, it was a lot of fun to make these characters. So let me go ahead and break down the different games in the uh, 2D20 roster. Uh, the first and the one that I came across first was Mutant Chronicles. Uh, and I had always been a big Mutant Chronicles fan. Uh, my friend and friends and I in the 90s and the, the early aughts, we played it quite a bit in California. The original game, uh, which I believe is from Target Game, uh, in Scandi oh, was Scandinavian tr translated into English. So it had this very sort of European worldview. And it's basically diesel pump space opera uh, where the Earth is destroyed, but all the other planets and asteroids are terraformed. And you're part of a different companies that are fighting each other, but they're also fighting these alien demons. Um, and if you actually fought the alien demons, they were pretty deadly. So most of our campaigns were like dealt with uh, gang busting or corporate espionage. But I had one sort of kind of complaint about the original game. And that was character creation. It was fun and stuff. But you had a wild fluctuation in how powerful your character started. So there was five of us, and we were rolling up five characters and a, a game master, and we were rolling up for this new campaign. And the first guy rolls, and he makes this military Bajas character. Bajas is kind of the German, Western European company. Um, and he rolls so good 
Not he ends up literally being the leader of their army, you know, the grand marshal. Um, really powerful, really rich. Uh, had a lot of military skills. Just amazing character. My next friend, he goes up and rolls up, and he goes through this the the Japanese base corporation, uh, and he rolls up. And he, he gets a lot of, like, power in the corporation, but he has, like, abilities that he gets to teleport through walls and, you know, magical pistols and armor. And then I roll a character, which was a, a Brotherhood, which is kind of their, their priestly magic users. And I did an undercover cop version. And I rolled a decent character. It was right about where you would think the average character starting out was. In fact, they, uh, the Game Master tried to get me to roll it again and roll another to make a more powerful character. And I liked this one, so I, I kept that one. But then my next friend came, and he rolled a character, and he kept basically a military character for Capital, which was kind of the American way company. And he ended up going to jail and becoming a Freedom Marine. So he became really strong and a really good shot. But that was it. You know, other than that, he was just a, you know, a one-trick pony. And then our final player, he rolled up his character, and he wanted to go kind of criminal. He wanted to uh, be like a, a criminal character and with Imperial, which is kind of the English-based corporation. And um, he just it started out good. I mean, he got the clan he wanted, and it, then it just it terrible. He was way below skills attributes um to his players credit and the the game master's credit i mean uh, it worked he, he he was able to work them in but it was always the he was always going to be the leak, weakest link in this group no matter what uh, so with this new system you don't have that yes you do roll some things so there can be some variation but it's not going to be this huge difference where the players have, you know, literally a four-star general and a guy who knows almost nothing because he spent his entire adult life in jail. So for you who only know Mutant Chronicles as the Casper Van Diem movie, and I've got two of my favorite actors, uh, Ron Perlman and Devin Aoki. So it's worth watching that movie just for the two of them. It's a great setting. Now, um, Modiphius has pretty much covered all the original source books and materials. And now the only thing I've seen them put out recently are adventures. But especially if it's something you want to maybe get everything and uh, start. Now, you do not need all of the extra books for this or any other of the uh, 2D20 title. In fact, since some of these are so new, all there is is the basic book. So you really, all you need to have fun is the basic book. Uh, the others, though, are icing on the cake. So yeah, you know, if you want them. And the fact that you can get them not only as hard copies, but PDFs, maybe a little bit cheaper. So... You'd, all you need is the basic book to play any of these games. The next is Infinity. 
And Infinity is based on a combat tabletop board game uh, with miniatures, but it did have this huge universe. Uh, again, it's probably one of the more crunchies. It's a very cyberpunk anime space opera. And if any of that sounds interesting to you, there's this galactic war going on. But again, a lot of this, just like Mutant Chronicles, a lot of the storytelling is going to focus on the home front. Not necessarily the war, but maybe smugglers or corporations that are taking advantage or criminal organizations that are taking advantage of people during the war. Great character creation, great anime feel. Um, really do like this game. Uh, next is Conan, which I think it's Conan Adventures in the Hyborian Age. And any of these books you read, the people who do this, this is a labor of love. But especially this. So, and, and you guys know me. You know, I'm a huge Bobby Howard fan. I have two Christmases each year. I have regular Christmas, and then I have Robert E. Howard Christmas each year. You know, I've been on several Howard and Conan panels at different Comic-Cons, uh, working on some pretty big and exciting Robert E. Howard panels coming up for later this year. Um, so if you are a Robert E. Howard fan and have no desire to play role-playing game, get this book. Get this book because it's, it's worth it just how much they deep-dived into the, the different... Uh, countries of and civilizations it's amazingly researched and it's a great game it's not just sort of D&D &D with Conan flavoring there's been I think what four or five Conan games out uh, Mongoose there was another one GURPS uh, there was D&D &D coming out None of them, with the exception of maybe GURPS, Conan, come close to capture the feeling and the writing and the passion that Robert E. Howard had for this character and his, his, this world. So it's not just D&D. &D. It is a very specific flavor. And, you know, I'm not knocking 5e, but if you want less Gygax, and more Robert E. Howard, this is the way to go. Not that I'm dissing you, Gary. Then I want to go with sort of the Star Trek. And, yeah, this is going to be their cash cow, and of course it is. Now, again, just like Conan, there's been, you know, Fossa was the original, and I think that was like the first Fossa Star Trek, I think, was the first role-playing game I ever played based on an existing property. And Black Unicorn put out a Star Trek game, and then there was Prime Directive, and then there was GURPS Prime Directive. So, what the Modifius Star Trek Adventures game has that the others don't is that there's, what, four ongoing Star Trek series, if you count, like, Lower Decks, None of the other ones have touched this. They've got this, all of these things that they can share and open up that the others just didn't exist. Uh, in fact, I recently got their discovery, 
And that has made me, just reading that book, has made me want to get, you know, Paramount Plus and watch the existing Star Trek much more than any of the TV commercials for Paramount Plus. So, um, it's the closest thing we have to a living universe for Star Trek. And it's their big one, of course it is. Um, and it's their growing one. So, even if you're not a trick Trekkie, there's some advantages to this because you got basically that ship cooperation and whether it, any game you can do that in infinity uh, you could do it in mutant chronicles but it really sort of definitely this different star wars games where the different people though are doing different parts of the ship and you're in a battle or whatever and you know you got your helm and your weapons and your captain and when that gels, that's just some of the best role-playing out there. But then you've got your away teams. And you set up so that maybe you've got uh, playing an away team character. Well, you can use sort of a, a temporary character on the ship while your primary character is a away team. And they've got a complete a book on playing Klingons. So this is, I think, going to be their most supported game. Because, you know, Star Trek's big again. I would say Star Trek is the medium crunchy game. And if all things else considered, if you're looking for just a game rule system that's not too light, not too heavy, that is a, probably a good place to start. Um, all of these ones that I've discussed so far, Mutant Chronicles, Conan, Star Trek, and Infinity have online character creators where I'll walk you right through, which is probably good because they're probably the most crunchy games with the caveat that all the different expansions for Infinity has not been added on. I don't know, I haven't looked recently, just within the last oh, 30 days or so, uh, Discovery and Shackleford uh, Space has come out, so I'm not sure if the new races and options that came out for and those books are in the uh, character generators and in any of those games you cannot create a bad character yeah it may not be the character you want may not do the things you want but if you put it on random it pretty much guarantee is going to get you a good character now the other games best of my knowledge don't have official character creator they've got fillable pdf forms but they're a lot less crunchy so they may not be needed and that's the way the industry is going it's going you know much more role-playing and so i'm going to cover what i know about dishonored i bought the book it's on a video game uh it's steampunkish that's all i know i read the book a little bit uh, i've never played the video game i know of it uh, I'm going to have to find someone to, to run it. That's really about all I know about Dishonored. One of the new ones, though, that they're very excited to get as a property would be Dune. And, you know, I've loved Frank Herbert's book since, you know, I read it as a freshman in high school the first time. Uh, great potential. Uh, and, and narrative style. So it's less crunchy, more flowing. It, it goes well with the book. Um, and I'm excited. I haven't run a, a Dune campaign, but where you can also kind of make not only your own house as well as your own characters. 
Um, and so I'm really excited about about uh, playing Dune. At this time, I think they're about to release the Entreides book, but other than that, it's just the main book. One thing also you gotta say about Modiphius, their art is amazing. They're just beautiful, beautiful art in everything they do. Uh, and the art is always respectful of the source material and conducive to the source material. Another one I have, but I haven't played, but I'm, I'm really excited, maybe think probably want to run as a character before a player, but that is Fallout. And Fallout, you know, is this huge video game, which was kind of based on role-playing games. In fact, the story I heard was originally there was going to be a, a GURPS version that came out with the video game, but it just fell through between the, the game makers and Steve Jackson. But I am I am excited about playing Fallout. The game that is probably most smooth and rules light is John Carter of Mars. Uh, again, I've always loved the Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, stories. And so this is, like I said, the most sort of, I think, role-playing heavy, despite its, its adventure and exciting, but it's the most rules light to try to capture that you know, pulp adventure style of Burroughs. One that's not completely out, they've just got sort of a, a playtesting out, is based on the role-playing game Mothership, which is a um, science fiction kind of alien, maybe Firefly-ish. Uh, I've heard good things. I've never actually played the original game, um, but Modivius is very good about taking something and converting it to a customized version of their own system. So I'm, I'm really excited about that uh, when it comes in. The other is Octoon Cthulhu. And uh, Octoon Cthulhu is World War II setting for uh, Cthulhu, um, the Cthulhu mythos, and which uh, it started out as part of the basic RPG or Chaosium. Um, and then I think it went to Fate, maybe a couple of other systems. Uh, to be honest, the original version I wasn't that impressed with. First of all, the art was beautiful. The quality was incredible. But uh, honestly, I thought you might do a little bit better just converting, if you knew history, converting Pulp uh, Cthulhu over or use uh, Cubicle 7's uh, World War Cthulhu. However, I'm got about two weeks ago I got the 2d20 version and I'm loving it the character creation is good it gives you some different types of characters so you could have enough military skills but still be a, a face type character or, or a scientist character it is a heavy heavy pulp game and, and it converts very well to their the version of 2d20 that they adapted for it so, if you want, it, it gets a lot of comparisons, and I agree, to um, Hellboy. So, if you want kind of that, you know, all-out, full, adventure, pulp, uh, Hellboy style, this is probably the best game for it. And, um, like I said, I think the pulp version, it's better as 2D20 than I think the, the D100 version of the Chaosium. Now, they've got a new one. I've just seen the ads coming up, and it's going to be 
Kumor Cthulhu, which is basically um, the Roman legions against Cthulhu mythos, and I imagine all sorts of things are going to be thrown at him in the uh, Tannenbaum uh, forest. Again, I don't know very much about it, other than it will also be supported with a tabletop game. And uh, I've just found the ads for it, or the original advertisement for it today. So I'm not even sure if there's any set release dates. But they're pretty good about getting things out pretty quickly. So if any of those settings seem to interest you, then I would definitely give Modiceus's, uh 2d20 systems a look like i said you can start with just the main book uh, it's going to run you depending on the book probably about 35 to 55 dollars now they've got fancy smancy ones but you know what i i i'm going to be fingering through this and just going through it so i just get the regular book i think also if you're not sure uh very good about supporting pdfs so if you want to maybe just check something out check out main book Quite often, there will be humble, humble bundles or uh, PDF sales where you can get them. And they're also very good about if you order the book from them, they will um, give you the PDF so you've got something you know, to wait while you're waiting for it. So, uh, yeah, I would say uh, go ahead and give Modiceus's, uh 2D20 uh, uh, a check. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, feed some hungry goats. So this is Farmer Dave. And... Um, I'm uh, returning back to uh, DB and me. Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am your host, DB. And before we get rolling on too many things, I just have to give a shout out to our sponsor this episode, Copper Cow Coffee. I am not drinking Copper Cow right now because it is almost six o'clock in the evening and I want to sleep. I don't drink so much coffee that it doesn't affect me anymore. But yeah, uh, I I got a big but old. But if you had to drink a coffee at six o'clock in the evening, it would be Copper Cow. Oh, definitely, definitely. I've got some cold brew a brewing right now. So even if I wanted to, I couldn't drink it because it's still brewing. I mean, granted, I could make a simply easy make cup of the uh, the coffee. You just pour off the little paper top. And pour in several ounces of water slowly, and you've got yourself the perfect Americano. Or uh, even a Luddite like me could make coffee that way. Totally, totally. I am a totally unbiased random person in the crowd. <laughs> Thank you, random person named Dave. And uh, check out Copper Cow Coffee. Show is in uh, links in the show notes. There we go. Hello, everyone. It's D&D on D&D with me, D, and that other D over there. 
Hey Dave, how's, Hi. how's it? How's it? How's it going? Uh, it is well. Nice. So, I, I I lately have been watching on YouTube these interesting. I, I'm trying to remember the name of the channel. It's something with history in it, and it, it it's really kind of focusing on what did. Uh, you know, a, a Native American uh, sailor uh, shipwrecked himself in Japan on purpose and was there for 10 months, and this is what he said, and this is what he thought of it. This is everything that happened. Or a uh, Japanese uh, sailor washes up here and, uh, you know, learns the culture before it goes back home, and this is what his journal was about. Or uh, communists come to... Uh, come to Hollywood in 1936 and are appalled by what they see and this is what their journals say kind of thing and I, I was thinking about that and I was like you know Kadath would be pretty interesting like someone writing about Kadath and I'm like oh yeah we already have that kind of although <sighs> Randolph Carter didn't go too in depth on what Kadath is we just know that it's 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 by the plateau of Lang it's like it's further. We don't know where the plateau of Lang is, though. I know, but it's it's. We know that the plateau of Lang exists beyond the mountains of madness, and we know that uh, unknown Kadath also exists beyond the plateau of Lang. So, if we can find those mountains again, or if we can get to uh, the plateau of Lang, I'm sure the Vale of Panath, not the Vale of Panath, that's underground. I'm sure that the uh, Unknown Kadath would not be hard to find, and and part of me is like, wait a minute, is Unknown Kadath that Onyx Island? And it's like, no, that's not it. But uh, Unknown Kadath is, I don't know. It's one of those things that you can use in an RPG, and you can put it anywhere. If if you're doing something with the Chocho people, um. Or, or, or maybe maybe you have to go find some chochos and rough them up so that you can find out where the plateau of Lang is. Or, you know, that could be why you're tracking down Sathagua under Mount Vormith address uh, to get yourself a foothold on how to get to the plateau of Lang so that you can then use that as a stepping stool to get to unknown Kadath. So, so might maybe be a good thing for some of our listeners who maybe are not as familiar to give sort of before we get into the multiple Kadath. Oh yeah. Um, the idea of Kadath uh-huh. is a city where the gods of men live. Yes. And the, these gods of men are either the gods of the dreamlands, which is this subconscious alternate uh, medieval reality uh-huh. in Lovecraftian. Yeah. Or or the actual alien entities, the outer, the outer gods, the old ones. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we, we have, I believe, somewhere online, there is, like, a listing of the great ones of Earth that uh, inhabit Kadath, such as Hagrag Rionis, uh, Karakal... Uh, Tamash, Zokal, Okwarath, uh, Lilith, and Nathoranath. So, I mean... And, and so you're going to get a lot of these, too, are going to be defined 
by the Chaos EM role playing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you, other than maybe a passing mention, mm-hmm. you, you're not going to see Lilith in any of Lovecraft's no. writings. No. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 yeah it's it's uh outside of that you're not going to see Lilith. And you're not going to really even hear of any of these um, great ones in general, except for maybe the Doom that came to Sarnath, the Dream Quest Unknown Kadath. I mean, just stuff that's in the dream cycle. You'll hear about stuff, but it's not like Lovecraft's talking about it in everything else or anything like that. I mean... And, and there will be some writers in the 70s that'll place their stories there. Of course. Of course. There will be. But no one really describes it. And I kind of feel that gives, you know, since no one's really describing uh, Kadath, that really gives people an opportunity to be like, well, is it like a barren desert plain? Is it like buildings made of marble on top of a mountain like Olympus? Is it, you know, um, I don't know. So my answer is yes. Okay. All right. You... you... In fact, until very recently, I have almost always mispronounced the title of the, the story as uh, the Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath. Yeah. You know, so that there are a bunch of Kadaths. There's the known Kadath, the unknown Kadath, <laughs> the green Kadath, the blue Kadath, you know. And, and, and to some part, we, we kind of see that because, you know, is Kadath in space? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is Kadath in the dreamlands? Is Kadath on Antarctica? Is, yeah. So so in this sort of, you know, universe of quantum physics where things can have different existences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And um, if, okay, so if Kadath... I mean, Kadath refers to a place, but it could also, I don't know, um, what if Kadath is referring to, like, an era that okay. just doesn't exist anymore? Or, you know, it's like, like, you could have a period of time called Kadath. Like, people are just like, oh yeah, back in Kadath. It's like, you know... Um, humans aren't going to understand that. If, if, if we're talking about like some sort of alien time period when the outer gods uh, ruled over things or something like that, and we call it a known Kadath, it's like, we don't know... Ha, man, I feel like I'm not making sense to myself now, but... Uh, no, I, I think you are. The, 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 and, and let me tell you what I sort of see Kadath is and okay. see if we're agreeing or disagreeing. Mm-hmm. So this is coming from a person who has a science degree sure a yeah. degree in social science uh-huh, uh-huh. so I, you know I, I'm, a, I'm a historian I'm not um, but so to me to me Kadath is like a different dimension okay all right and and but at the same part let's think of this as sort of an octopus dimension all right you know you got the head but you got all these tentacles sure and these tentacles occasionally show up. Or disappear mm-hmm. in other dimensions. Okay. So, so you know, you, you're you're flying your satellite, your Delta Green satellite over um, over Burma, and uh, well, there was you know 
this big heat signature and now it's gone. Mm-hmm. Sort of like um, Shangri-La. Okay, I was going to say Brigadoon. It, <laughs> Brigadoon, exactly. You know, Brigadoon is just Shangri-La with Irish accents and yeah. singing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, Shangri-La, it's there and it's not. Well, you know... You know, Lovecraft kind of guessed wrong almost everything on the North Pole uh-huh. in Mountains of Madness. Yeah. But who's to say not in certain cases at certain times? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. And that's when the, the Kadath leaks in. Yeah. But places like the Dreamland, it's a little bit more solid. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, no. I, 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 I feel like in stories about Shauna Fawn or stories about Sathagwa or anything that really has to like mention uh, Plateau of Lang or any of that kind of stuff, really, like even the Dreamlands in some ways, I don't feel like there's multiple Dreamlands. I feel like there's us, there's the Dreamlands and maybe some other sorts of uh, quasi-planes here and there, whatever. And yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This is kind of like... Um, yeah, kind of like how you were saying, like a uh, an octopus, but I'm thinking of it more of like a four-leaf clover that's all linked. It's just okay. that sometimes the uh, the petals of the clover touch each other, but it's all separate places that kind of touch each other sometimes in in weird places that aren't distinguished uh, very well by human. Uh, organs, uh, sensory organs. Uh, so you have like this place that, uh, you have the dreamlands, which is solidly in one place and you have the waking world, which is solidly in one place, but those two places do touch from time to time. And then if you have something that's even more, I don't know, less substantial, I don't want to say less substantial, but something that can kind of like move time and space, like a time, Time and space that can move in time and space. It's basically what I'm thinking of as uh, Unknown Kadath, uh, Plateau of Lang, and all that kind of fun stuff. And I feel like you could use that kind of concept, like the whole, like maybe not just a place that disappears and comes back every however, or it's, you know, it's like it has a few known places where you can reach it, and generally it's in far or what used to be thought of as far, far to reach places. But nowadays it's like, I don't know, um, maybe you're in a group of, uh, I don't know, billionaire types who are looking to scale some super high mountain in Nepal and you run across this cave. This cave leads underneath into uh, some, I don't know, the uh, Chocho spiritual world or something like that, which then leads you to the Plateau of Lang. Or, uh, who knows, some sort of uh, shortcut that Athagwa made to get back and forth to Borea real quick and maybe, you know, get snacks along the way that he's not supposed to get because he's cutting through the dreamlands or something. But, yeah. You know, and, and, and maybe... So there is, you know, that you got to climb these huge mountains mm-hmm. or, or go to the ice caves. Yeah. But maybe um, the outer gods have arranged things, you know, that, you know, the gate you've got to go through. Uh, there's a, a Myanmar uh, military base. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or, you know, maybe they've arranged politics too. Or, you know, I, there's a, uh, I, I love the, the first Tomb Raider movie, uh-huh. you know, where there's sort of, they have to go through this sort of stylish, um, you know, Angkor Wat. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of things that I think, and, and another idea is, just Kadath at its most simple mm-hmm. as a place where human humans and gods hang out. Yeah. So maybe that's the quest to find it here in, in your D and D game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all of a sudden, like the, 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 the you know, the town drunk is a, is a warlock. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and, uh, the town sheriff is a mind player, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, just this town where, yeah, where, where 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 the gods and the mortals hang out. I think that could be uh, sort of a a fun idea, especially if you made them work to get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and like things are popping into my head of what if it's some sort of spiritual mizzening kind of like in between place. Uh, if everything that's going on in the known world happens like where we're able to see it and everything that's the unknown is unseeable. What if there's this like, and, and I'm thinking of like, uh, theaters and stuff like the mezzanine level that kind of looks out above the crowd, but it's like not quite real high up, super fancy, but it's just kind of like this anyway. But yeah, no, kind of an in-between place. Uh, uh, maybe like kind of like in spiritual matters, it's like, you know, you're not made of this type of material. You can't actually even approach this place that we actually hang out. Here's here's Kadath. Kadath can exist anywhere. Gods need to exist, but it's kind of like a step down for them to go there because it's like not quite their godly realm, but it's also not quite... Oh, almost like an airlock. Yeah, yeah. But it's not quite the... Uh, the, the uh, dream world or the the waking world. It's 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 just slightly beyond the wall of sleep. If we're gonna throw out another name, <laughs> no, I, I I like that area. There's something, and we see that. I think we could twist that D and D with the the Fey realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I was thinking like in D and D, it could be the kind of place where you could kill an avatar of a god. But not actually kill the god. It's like yeah. it's it's it, it it may be like the one place that you could kill the king in yellow, but that just means that Haster just comes up with another king in yellow that looks slightly different. But <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the, the true form. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think those are all pretty cool suggestions for what to do with Kadath. How do we solve a problem like Kadath? <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, don't. Uh, all right, Dave, is there anything else that you think that we should talk about Kadath before we head off into that Kadathy chilly night? I just, you know, uh, you know, my, my favorite Looney Tunes, Kadathy Duck. Kadathy Duck, all right. That's, yeah, uh, unknown to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> that is the unknown Kadathy. All right. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, David Heath and I, we, we wish you well. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
pgttcm.com and you can look for us anywhere on social media as pgttcm it'll track us down eventually and yeah write us if you've got a book to review let us know and uh if you need to be interviewed for the show for some reason contact us and we'll contact you so Stay squiggly, keep it weird, and we will see you next time on People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Or will we? Ooh, bye. Bye. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by a bunch of people. Check out the show notes, help the show. Keep us growing so we can go to cool conventions and high-five you there. And also check out the show notes and where to buy underwear. We don't sell underwear. We sell coffee and stuff like that. And music is by DB. And this center portion is always by Dave. Thank you, everyone.